This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about getting things prepared for your taxes and getting everything ready to get to your CPA. And specifically, we're going to talk about some of the more uh, uncommon items that may come up that don't necessarily translate to having a form or other deliverable that you might be used to. So we all are well aware that you might get a W-2 or a 1099, but these are things that come up that might not necessarily be on any form, and you would just have to have good notes and uh, be well-versed on yourself and what happened to you during the tax year in order to relay this information to your tax preparer. And that's what we'll talk about in today's episode. Now, some of these things will come up in an organizer if your tax preparer sends you what's called an organizer, which is a giant document or spreadsheet or binder that they ask you to fill out, which sort of asks all about all the things that might have happened to you throughout the year. But if your CPA does not do that or you self-prepare, then you're going to have to come up with some of these things just on your own through good notes and awareness of what happened to you during the tax year. So as you know, any form that you get, uh, like a W-2 or a 1099, you get a copy and the IRS gets a copy. So most people know pretty well about those. And most people know, for instance, if you make a charitable contribution, you need to keep a record of it and that sort of thing. But there are other things that come up that don't necessarily lead to a form. And those are sort of what we're going to talk about today. So the first one that comes up is seems like a pretty easy one, but... If you make quarterly tax payments, uh, your CPA wouldn't necessarily know that you did unless you tell them. So as you make those payments, either by check or electronically, keep a copy of the check or the carbon copy in your checkbook. Or if you make it electronic, upon completion, you should have a, a receipt that you're able to print out. Put that in your tax folder for the year and include that when you give everything to your CPA. And that's most likely a question in their document organizer. But nonetheless, there's not going to be anything on a W-2 or 1099 or other form that's going to show that you made a quarterly tax payment. So that's something that you need to make sure to keep track of and give to your CPA. The next one is a charitable distribution from an IRA. So if you make a distribution from your IRA, you're of the age to make qualified charitable distributions, which currently under the tax law, you have to be 70 and a half to do that. You will get a 1099R from the custodian that shows the amount of any distributions you made from your IRA, but the 1099-R will not break out what part of that distribution is a normal distribution versus the amount that went to charity. That's not really their responsibility. Their responsibility is to point out, here's how much total came out. Now, recall that in order to 
be a qualified charitable distribution, the charity has to meet certain criteria. The biggest one is that it must be a 501c3 organization. But if you have a distribution that meets the criteria to be a qualified charitable distribution and you're of the age to do it, and the amount is below the maximum, there is a maximum, it's currently 100,000 and will be adjusted for inflation in the future, and that's a limit per person, then you need to notify your CPA to say, hey, I took this much from my IRA, and of that total, this is the amount to went to, that went to charity, and these are the charities that that amount went to. You will get a 1099-R for your IRA, but it will not show the amount that went out with qualified charitable distributions. So that is an important thing to give to your accountant because the qualified charitable distributions are, uh, they come off the top, they're not a deduction, they're like the income never happened. So they're really advantageous from a tax perspective. So you wanna make sure you get all of that information to your accountant. Another one is gifting. So each year there's an annual exclusion amount that says here's the amount that you're allowed to give another person without having to file a gift tax return. If you give above that amount, you need to file a gift tax return. And depending on what you've done gifting-wise throughout your life, you may or may not actually owe gift tax. The threshold to owe gift tax is really high, multi-million dollars. So if you're below that, then really it's just an informational return to tell the IRS hey, I gifted this year, I gifted above the annual amount that's normally excluded, and I'm just letting you know. And they keep a record of it, and that's it. The gift tax return is Form 709, so that's synonymous with Form 1040 for an individual. Form 709 is the gift tax return. And if uh, you go above the annual exclusion amount, you need to notify your CPA because you do need to prepare that gift tax return. I've heard some people say, oh, they'll never find out. I don't need to waste time with this. It's not worth the risk. It's, it's a simple, simple return to file. Your CPA will not charge you that much to do it. And it's better to just follow the law and be in compliance. Another thing that comes up is HSA contributions. So if you're still working and you're able to contribute to a health savings account because you are part of a qualified high deductible plan for your healthcare plan, at your employer, you most likely have the option to contribute to an HSA. And most likely there will be some mention of this on your W-2, but I think it's always a good idea to give all the details to your tax professional. And part of the reason why is it can get pretty complicated when there, you have a married family and both spouses are able to contribute to an HSA and they both contribute to their HSA the tax law is clear that you have a combined joint limit, but each employer doesn't necessarily know where the other spouse is in terms of their amounts that they've contributed. And so it's common to accidentally over-contribute because each employer sort of has a myopic viewpoint. They're looking at it purely from the perspective of the employee that they have in their records, and they don't know about the other spouse and what is going on at their employer and the amount that they're contributing. And often at tax time, everyone gets their records together and we discover that the two spouses together over contributed. Having a record of all of your HSA contributions for the year is very helpful. If you don't automatically get that from your employer, 
you should ask for it, and that should be included as part of your package that you give to your CPA. Another one is contributing to 529 plans. So 529 plans are educational accounts that grow tax-deferred if used for the appropriate things. You know, education, uh, either for private school or collegiate studies. And I'm not going to walk through all of the ins and outs of 529 plans, but if you contribute to those, uh, those contributions are deductible in several states. Most, actually. So if you contribute to a 529 plan and you meet the criteria for deduction, then you really want to make sure you let your tax professional know that you've made a 529 plan contribution. And you'll need to show them how much you contributed, when you made the contribution, and to which plan you contributed to. It's not necessarily always the case that even if your state allows for the deduction, you, for instance, may not be able to get the deduction if you actually use a different state's 529 plan. So you need to give all of the details to your tax professional so they can see if you're eligible for a state tax deduction. Another one, this one's a little more rare, but if you have a loan between family members, so one family member gives another family member a loan, each family member usually will not generate a 1099 to reflect that interest. However, the interest received from loan payments on an intrafamily loan is still taxable interest income, just like uh, income from interest received at a bank would be. So if you haven't already, you need to give your tax professional all the information about any loans that have been made to family members and the income you received or payments you received back on those loans because the part of that that is interest is taxable interest income. That's usually more of an issue for really high net worth families that um, do intrafamily lending as part of an estate freezing technique. Um, but if that is you, you just need to make sure that you keep track of the interest received and share that with your tax professional. The next two that I'm going to talk about are related. They're both about donor advised funds. So if you give to a donor advised fund, that is a charitable contribution. Additionally, when you issue a grant from the donor advised fund, where you take money, recommend it being donated from the donor advised fund to a particular charity, that action is not deductible. But often the charity can get confused when they see the, we'll just make up a name here, the Joe and Jane Smith donor advised fund makes a donation and then Joe and Jane Smith make a donation, they'll probably combine those two and send them to Joe and Jane Smith. And so the CPA will need to know which donations came from a charity, uh, or excuse me, which donations came from the donor advised fund versus which donations came from you personally. Because when they come from the donor advised fund, they're not deductible at that point. They were those dollars were deductible when they went into the donor advised fund, which might have been a month ago or a year ago or a decade ago. But when it comes out of the donor advised fund, that particular action is not deductible. So if you use donor advised funds, I really recommend you keep careful records of how much you contributed because that's potentially deductible for you when you make the contribution to the donor advised fund. And then when you make a grant from the donor advised fund, you want to keep careful records of that so that your CPA can distinguish on the charitable 
information that you put in your package for them, they can delineate and say, this donation actually came from the donor advised fund versus this donation came from you individually so that you don't run the risk of accidentally double counting a donation or missing a donation completely. Another thing that you need to provide to your accountant that may not necessarily be provided normally is the year-end balance for all of your IRAs in the event that you do Roth conversions. So if you do uh, Roth conversions during the year, you'll have to include a form in your tax return. It's form 8606. And form 8606 helps track the basis of all of the IRAs. And at the end of the year, uh, there's a rule called the pro rata rule. And I had a podcast episode about that sometime back. But basically, when you make a Roth conversion, the CPA has to look at all of your IRA accounts to understand the tax implications of that Roth conversion. Normally, you don't have to give an accountant the balance of your IRAs as part of your tax package. Um, you may get a form 5498, especially if you're RMD age that you would need to give your accountant to help them figure out what you owe for required minimum distributions for the next year. But the year in balance of all of your IRAs isn't necessarily something that they need to do your tax return. But if you do Roth conversions, it will be something that they need. So that's an important one to consider. The last one is employer related and also sort of IRA related, and that's a 60 day rollover. So if you made a distribution uh, from one of your retirement accounts and it was not a trustee to trustee transfer, which is the most common form. So you leave employer A and you're gonna roll that to an IRA. You would want to have employer A's 401k distribute that money directly to your IRA or directly to a new 401k without it ever going through one of your personal bank accounts. But for one reason or another, sometimes people don't do that. And if you have retirement money, leave the retirement plan and enter your personal bank account, you can still move it to an IRA or 401k, but you have to do it within 60 days and you have to gross it up for tax. And there's a few steps you have to follow to make sure everything's okay. But the key thing is that the 1099 from the custodian will not know whether or not you actually rolled that money within 60 days or not. All the 1099 will know is that they sent the money to you personally, as opposed to a direct transfer to another trustee. So the 1099 will reflect that it was an, the entire amount of your 401k distribution was taxable unless you are able to show that you completed the rollover within 60 days and followed all of the other rules that go with it. So if that applies to you and you moved money from one retirement plan to another via your personal accounts, you had 60 days to do it, you followed all the rules, you need to prove all of that with documentation and give that to your accountant because the 1099 from the custodian will not reflect that you completed that 60-day rollover. It's incumbent on you to have the documentation to prove it. That's all for today's episode. I hope you found this helpful. Wish you lots of luck in getting your taxes prepared and getting everything together for your accountant this tax season. We'll be back with another episode next week. Take care. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. 
The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.